Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Glory to God. Well, tonight we're going to be continuing our series on Healing is Ours, and we're going to talk about the man with the withered hand, and I've got a little parenthesis out there, a little subtitle, A Clash with Religion. We'll read all three of the synoptic uh, uh, versions of this. The first one beginning in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time, Jesus, oh, and you'll notice there are other things included in here because the evangelists are telling a story. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on, uh, on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who are with him, but only the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you something that greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, and he, they, they ask him this, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So the conversation is continuing so that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep who has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Amen. When it comes to the religious folks, no good deed goes unpunished. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and made, uh, as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look. Why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Aviatar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with or says, it's again, the historical present says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and says to the man, stretch out your hand. 
And he stretched it out and the hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. The final account from Luke chapter 6 beginning with verse 1. And on a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain rubbing them with their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, what are you doing? Why are you doing what's not lawful on on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered and said, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching a man uh, and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And so that they might find reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he arose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or destroy it. And after looking around at them, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And as he did so, his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. This entire passage to include go, which was the, the story of them going through the fields and rubbing the grains of head. They were not stopping to eat. They were just plucking the ears of grain and doing that, which was completely lawful. In fact, Deuteronomy 23, 25 says, when you enter your neighbor's standing grain, then you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not wield a sickle in your neighbor's standing grain. So it was completely legal for wayfarers, travelers to pluck heads of grain and they would roll them between their hands to get the husk off so that they would eat the, you know, eat the kernel, you know. And the reason that the Pharisees were so upset about that was that they were threshing. They were doing work. Now, these are the same guys that taught that you should not expectorate. And for those of you who don't know what that means, spit on the Sabbath because the spittle might move the dirt and moving the dirt is plowing. All right. And so, and the, the Essenes were so in the ditch with this that they wouldn't even go to the bathroom on, on the Sabbath because that was work. Hoorah. All right. And so, you know, they, the, the devil and men make serving God as hard as they possibly can. All right. And they take one of the things that is going we were discussing this in the men's group last night that what God seeks from us is not uh, checking a bunch of uh, going down and checking a bunch a list of a bunch of do's and don'ts. I mean, he does have, you know, there, there, there is morality. There are ethics. I understand all that. And I am definitely not, you know, I'm, anybody knows me knows that I am. I, I don't minimize that. But the fact is that it's relationship with God that he desires the most. Jesus came 
to reconcile us to God, to make that, to restore us to relationship with God. He didn't come so that we could dot all the, just so that we could dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And let me tell you something. Legalists don't even do it themselves. You know, they, they don't, you know, they, you know, and the, another thing is it takes more faith to live without checking all the boxes, because when you check all the boxes, you have this prideful feeling. I've got it all covered. I've got it all done. I'm good. And does anybody with half a brain and one eye open really and honestly think that they know everything that goes on in their head, their heart or anything of that nature? Certainly not. All right. So in Philippians chapter three and, and verses five and six, we, we see something here circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Paul's talking of himself, speaking of himself here, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. The issue is works righteousness and the law. The Pharisees, because of their consecration, their dedication, and their steadfast you know, we are going to observe God's law as they interpreted it. All right. And they believe that they deserved the blessings of God because it was a contractual agreement. I do this. God does that. I do this. God blesses it. How many of you know that isn't faith? It is not faith. Scorekeeping is easy, but it is never accurate because there is always something we miss. Everybody say amen. amen. All right. And it's a huge hindrance to faith because it is rooted in pride. And that's where the Pharisees were. They were prideful. They were, you know, their opposition was wrongheaded. It was wronghearted. And their drive to establish their own righteousness and elitism caused them to completely miss. That's why Jesus said, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You guys have completely missed the heart of God. All right. And in fact, he made reference in Matthew 12, 5. We just read it a few minutes ago that the priests break the Sabbath every single Sabbath because that's when the bread of the presence, the show bread was was changed out for the fresh for the fresh loaves. It was their function. It was their duty. Yet they were held guiltless. Why? Because the temple service transcends regulation. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Serving and pleasing God in the temple transcended the other law. Worship transcends law. Amen. Are you hearing me? All right. And you know, their task was more important. And even the Pharisees would agree that the temple law supersedes the Sabbath law. And Something greater was here. You know, what was the function of the law anyway? To put men into bondage? I don't think so. that's the way it worked out. Or was it to set us free? God's law is for man's benefit, his protection, and his blessing. It's not supposed to be an albatross hanging around our neck. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, you guys are quiet tonight, okay? Uh, we'll go back to Matthew uh, 
you know, uh, well, actually we won't. We'll go to Matthew chapter 2. And it says, um, well, I don't have that here for some reason. You know, the, you know well, actually it is 12, 25 through 27. That David and his men received the showbread from the priest at Nov. You, you know, it, it, you heard about that. Got Goliath's sword. And the tabern, you know, and this was, you know, and we're held guiltless. Why? Because the Sabbath was made for man. The human, the human need transcends all but the moral law. My, I remember my mom telling a cute little story, and I don't know where she heard it, but about, uh, you know, and I've shared this before, but it comes to mind, so I'll share it again. Uh, one day there was a you know, there was a, a a professor from the seminary, and I'm a seminary graduate, and I've taught in seminary, so I'm not dissing seminary professors or anything of that nature. But and he was walking along, enjoying the presence of God, walking down a river uh, a river bank, and he heard someone singing, and he thought he recognized the tune, and, and sure, sure enough, it was a chant. It was a one of the, the monks, you know, he, he himself was not a monk, but he was very familiar with the chant that this individual was chanting. And, this, and he could hear this individual, and there was an, an island, but this individual was on an island that was off the bank, that was out in the middle of this river. This island was in the middle. And he could hear that guy chanting it, and he noticed that the, the, the man was doing it wrong. And so he got a boat from a local and rowed out there or had somebody row him out there. And he comes in and here's this monk sitting there, you know, and he's doing the chant. And he's, you know, and he said, say there, my good brother, I could not help but notice that you were chanting, you know, some is probably Gregorian or something of that nature. And you were saying thus and so and like this, but it actually goes in this way. And he corrected him. And the fellow that was chanting said, oh, well, uh, he said, I'm a, I'm, you know, I work at the university. I'm on, on the faculty there. And I, and so I just wanted to help you with that. We said, well, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you. I would, I, I don't want to get it wrong. And so how does that go again? And he's like, and so, you know, they shook hands, parted company. The professor gets back in the boat and he's going back to the other, you know, to the bank, the, 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 the side there. And he's and he hears the guy begin to sing again. And all at once he notices he's getting it wrong again. And he's thinking, well, what am I going to do? But then the singing stopped. And he thought, well, I wonder what happened. He turns around and here comes this guy walking on the water saying, how did that go again? Some people are so concerned about getting all the T's crossed. And, and, and don't get me wrong. We can get into the ditch in legalism and what we have seen in our nation. We can get into the ditch on being um, a little loose. 
We can say, God's going to get you if you don't do this, this, and this. And we can get over here and say, oh, God doesn't put, God doesn't care whether you do that, this, this, that, or that. And it's, and, and, and both would appeal to God and say, well, it's his will. These would say, oh, but the compassion of God, you know, it's just, you know, yeah, you know, maybe the scripture says it, but the scripture's, you know, like old school and, and all that. And God really knows our hearts and all that kind of stuff. Yes, that's why he, God knows our hearts. That's why he told us, he gave us the scripture. So we could train our hearts. Amen. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, he says it again. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Now, I want you to think about the miracles of Jesus. All of them. A couple of them were pretty spectacular, but there was nothing on the order of a parting of the Red Sea. Or, you know, uh, plagues on the Romans. I'm sure the Pharisees would have preferred that. You know, the miracles Jesus worked were very personal in nature because he came that, that was the, his, his, his focus was bringing people back to the Father. Individually, as well as corporately, obviously. You know, uh, it was, you know, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses 53 through 56. But when the Samaritans, remember he was traveling to Jerusalem. And when the Samaritans did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, he said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Well, they'd seen in the scripture that Elijah did that on more than one occasion. And so that seemed perfectly scriptural. But what they did not realize was the spirit that they are of. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you don't know what kind of spirit you were of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. John 3.16, we can all quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17 For God did not send the Son in the world to judge, to condemn, to damn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, we would expect, I mean, yes, he calmed the raging sea. Why? Because the disciples were in danger. Now, There was one miracle that was related to that one time for which I am grateful. And that is, it said that when they were only about halfway across and they'd been working all night and they were worn smooth and he got into the boat after, you know, the the sea was calmed and they were suddenly all the way over to the other side where they were going. How many of you think that'd be pretty cool? I know I'd like it. I know of missionaries who have told of such kind of miracles even in the modern day. Think about uh, Philip the Evangelist who was snatched away. We'll be looking at, uh, uh, I'm not sure if we'll be looking, yeah, I think on, on Sunday 
uh, Sunday evening in Acts, when we talk, you know, Philip uh, ministering to the to the uh, Ethiopian eunuch, and how that he was snatched, and when they came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit, we would use the word teleported him. All right, I believe we're going to see. We've I, I I've heard of miracles similar to that happening in the mission field in in the in the last few years. I believe we will see greater and greater manifestations of that. In fact, I believe God is going to move, remove uh, numbers of people to keep to to literally whisk them out of danger. That'd be awesome. How'd we get here, Agnes? <laughs> We were just having church and the next thing we know we're 100 miles away. All right. So he's challenging. He asks him, is it lawful? Is it lawful to heal? There is always going to be someone who's going to be resisting the will of God. Who's going to be trying to talk you out of your miracle. Why it can't be done. Why God wouldn't do it. And some of them will be very, very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Orthodox and conservative Christians who just do not, who are cessationists and just do not believe that God does those things today. And they're sincere and sincerely wrong. And, and, and that sincerity should be respected, but we've got to believe the, the Bible, not you know, their take on it. Amen. And so, you know, he asked them the question. He said, is it lawful to heal? You know, and, you know, he and the, the, Jesus answers with a question. They they asked the question, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he said, well, is it lawful or did, to do evil? You know, when he said to do evil, well, what would evil be? Evil would be withholding good from someone who needs it when it's available. Jesus was had the power to heal. And so James chapter four and verse 17, I love this. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. And so he just put the Pharisees on the horns of a dilemma. I love it. Jesus was always one step ahead of the enemy. All right. Or two or three. Amen. And. Earlier versions, you know, he, he says, if you had an ox or a sheep and they were stuck in a ditch or they were falling a well or something like that, would you not go get it out? Well, here's something interesting. The law had evolved. The Pharisees had changed because earlier, and they, this was rabbinical literature, not God. If the ox or the sheep fell someplace where they were not in immediate danger and it could wait, then you, they were to, the owner was to wait until the day after the Sabbath to go to recover them. But by the time Jesus was walking the earth, the, the, they had changed it to where you could legally pull the animal out right then. And so Jesus was challenging them based upon their own interpretation. But the eye, and he says, how much more value is a man than a sheep? Amen. He knows they're looking for grounds to prosecute him. He knows that. And the, the issue is that the Pharisees, with the exception of Joseph of Arimathea and of Nicodemus, and maybe a handful, a handful, very few others, they don't have any personal relationship with God. What they have is a religious, self-serving uh, system. 
of political power, social prestige, and uh, decent income. And God is not into ceremonial rules and regulations. I had a friend that grew up, and I won't say what denomination it was, but he told me, he said, I don't go there anymore. And I said, why? He said, I was pretty sure they had an elevator to hell right behind the, the, the pulpit. <laughs> and I said, what? You know, and they weren't, this, this group isn't notorious for being legalistic. So I'm not, you know, uh, not entirely sure what he meant. But I can tell you that just like the monk who got it wrong, but his heart was so pure toward God, his faith was so strong, he was able to walk on the water over to the professor who needed a boat. Are you with me here? All right. And so, you know, God's looking for relationship. I remember a uh, man of God telling a story about a young fellow who got saved in rural Oklahoma back in the day. And when I say back in the day, I mean in the early part of the 20th century. When it had, you got to remember that before 1907, Oklahoma was Indian territory. I have relatives that were born, Rhett says, right on their, my uncle buddy. I talk about my uncle buddy. Also, my, his, his, he was my great uncle and my grandmother, his sister. And their birth certificates say the name of the town where they were born, Indian territory. It doesn't say Oklahoma. It says Indian territory. And, you know, this man tells a story about a young uh, Native American who gave his life to Jesus and he was just so excited about preaching the gospel and he, you know, about the gospel and he, you know, he became uh, uh, quite the preacher and a, and a very successful one. But when he started out, how many of you know that it's possible to have a zeal that's not in accordance with knowledge? And he honestly thought that Paul and Silas were man and wife. And he honestly thought that Timothy was their son. Timothy, my son, my true son in the faith and all this. And he'd get up and preach about that. And he said people would come and get born again, even though he was preaching stuff that was just, he was right about the, 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 the important stuff. And he was wrong about, you know, stuff that didn't matter. Okay, so does that mean that those people weren't genuinely born again because that guy was off? Let me tell you something. I know people who have gotten born again under the ministry of people who are actually members of what we would classify as a cult. And Jesus, you know, it's like, you know, they go, well, now, to which Jesus are you praying? Let me tell you something. When somebody goes, Jesus, save me. He doesn't go, uh, which Jesus are you, uh, upon whom are you calling there? He knows. Amen. Amen. We had a lady in this church for many years that was part of the local cult, the big one here in town, RLDS, Community Christ, whatever. And she was in all kinds. Of, I mean, she was in the hospital dying. And she looked up and there stood Jesus at the foot of her bed. And he said to her, he said, you are bound up with all kinds of of religious error, but I am your salvation. Raised her up out of that bed. Man, is that so cool? I mean, that he, uh, he uh, wow, you know, 
We were talking last night about, you know, you know, did you, once saved, always saved, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. And I never remember another man of God going to pray for a gentleman that was in the hospital and not doing well. And the Lord said, don't pray for him. He said he's been a Christian 36 years and had never lived right more than two weeks at a time. I even healed him of a broken back once when he was living in adultery. And he's like, this is all news to him. So he went out and talked to the family and found out that, well, what do you know? The Lord knew what he was talking about. And he said, what's this about him being healed of a broken back one, being an adulteress? And they said, oh, yeah, he was playing around doing something he shouldn't. And he had an accident at work and it broke his back and they took him to the hospital. And they said, we're going to, you know, you, you, you know, they put him in traction and everything. And he said, I'm going to get up the, off of this bed healed. Now, here's a man who's living in adultery, but he believes God will heal him. And he said, and I'm not saying that it's cool to live in adultery. It is not. But he genuinely believed God would heal him. And they said, he said, I'm going to get up off of this bed healed. And they said, if you get off of that bed, you're going to turn black and blue, fall to the ground, and you might not live through it. And so he waited until everybody left the room. He got off of the bed, got off of the bed, got out of the bed, turned black and blue, fell to the ground, and then got up to the floor, and then got up healed. And the Lord told him, he said, he's never lived right more than two weeks straight in the entire time he's known me. He'll never have a better time to go. Let him go. God, you talk about mercy. You talk about compassion. Is it God's best? Absolutely not. But how many times... Have we felt like, well, I don't deserve this. We have a winner. What is it? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. No, you don't deserve it. Nobody does. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, here's the problem. We want to get in the ditch over here or we want to get in the ditch over here. When you tell a story about a guy that had you know, been in adultery and got healed and people say, well, let's go try that. <laughs> Stupid. So he calls the man. Now, why did Jesus heal the man? It's a, it's a test. The whole thing was a huge test. Right? And why did Jesus heal the man? Again, it was not to prove his divinity. All he did here, politically speaking, was make enemies. But in, he, he, what he did was illustrate God's true nature in character. This is number, was it eight? Yeah, number eight in this series. I don't know how many will go. 50, 60, but you know. <laughs> I don't know how many will go, but I'm telling you, and we'll be looking at this a little bit on Sunday, we have got to get our heads and our hearts wrapped around the goodness, the compassion, the mercy, and the word of God. So that when the enemy comes with condemnation, when the enemy comes with, 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 with uh, our, uh, persuasive argument, we know our God. We know his word. And we are not moved by what we feel. We are not moved by what we see. 
Jason sent us a little clip of Andrew Womack today, a little one minute clip. And he was talking about how he said, I'm not against doctors. I'm very tempted to imitate him. I'm not against doctors. <laughs> I love it. He's, he's awesome. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy him. He preached our, our meeting this year, this last year in Dallas, and just swatted it right out of the park. But he said, I'm not against doctors. He said, if it weren't for doctors, most Christians would be dead. He said, but we've come as a body to depend too much on doctors. And he said, with the things that are coming, he said, we just came through a pandemic that really was nothing. He said, but there are pandemics coming that are going to be genuinely serious. And he said, we're going to. And he said, we've also dis discovered that the medical community is not 100 percent trustworthy. It depends. <laughs> OK. And so he, you know. Here, here's now, now put yourself here. He says to the man with the withered hand, he says, get up and come here. Okay, this is not a life threatening situation. You know, this isn't an animal that needs to be pulled out of the ditch right now. But at the same time, you know, withholding good and he's using their own, you know, could it wait till tomorrow? Yeah, but he did it on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Right in front of, as we used to say when I was a kid growing up, right in front of God and everybody, you know. And he had the man stand right up and here they are. They're ready to pounce, you know. They're looking and he's grieved at their hardness of heart. He's just, you know, and, and, and I want you to know that that does, that grieves God. And he says, stretch forth your hand. Effort was demanded. Just like Paul looking at the guy who never walked. Stand upright on your feet. Or Peter at the beautiful gate grabbing the beggar who had never walked. Grabbing him by the right hand and saying, you know, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk! And yanking him up. I see, man, if you've ever read about Smith Wigglesworth, some of the things that guy did. I mean, he, he got crazy. And, you know... He, he, uh, you know, he was getting so physical with one woman one time. Some guy in the, in the, in the congregation said, unhand that woman, you beast. And he said, you shut up. I know what I'm doing and you don't like that. And God healed her. Another lady came. She had a massive goiter or growth or like that. And he said, look out like that. And she did. And he went, bam, and hit it with his fist. Just as I, do not attempt this at home. This is something where you've got to be under the anointing of God. You've got to be under the spirit of God. And you've got to know that the spirit of God. He probably did it before he even realized. Like it. And that thing flew out of her mouth and hit the ceiling and left a mark. And they said they left that mark there for many years as a testament to how God had moved. What an awesome thing. So he says, stretch out your hand. He demanded effort. Throw out your nets for a catch. Master, we fished all night. We've caught nothing. The sun's up, master. The reason that we fish at night, I, I know you're not a fisherman, you're a carpenter. The reason we fish at night is because you may notice that this water is quite clear and even the fish aren't stupid enough to swim into the net. Nevertheless, at your bidding, and we know twice, not just once, but twice, once post-resurrection. And, you know, the, the, so why, he said, stretch forth your hand. 
Why would he even tell this guy who's got a withered hand? Why would he even tell him to do that if the expectation was not for an immediate healing? And what we saw manifested right then, right there, was the love of God. Well, Jesus, why stir up trouble? Just wait till tomorrow. No. Right then, right there, we found out who and what the Pharisees really were. In fact, the Greek indicates that they got up and stormed out of the synagogue right then. And, and what did they do? They went to the Herodians. And who were the Herodians? They were the Jews who had attached themselves to Herod. And up until this time, they had been considered all but apostate by the Pharisees because of their, of, you know, Herod was an Edomian king. He was actually uh, an Edomite. And you remember when Jesus said, what did you come out, you know, in the, to the wilderness to see, in reference to John the Baptist? A reed shaken by the wind, somebody that just preaches whichever, you know, thing is popular and is bending to whatever wind is blowing. He said, or someone dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those in soft clothing are in king's palaces. Remember when he said, when they said, Herod's looking for you. And he says, you go tell that fox, that effeminate one. That is exactly what that word means in Greek. And because he used to really put on the dog, as it were. He, his, his clothing was 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 ostentatious. He was the Lee Liberace of the, you know, some of you don't have any idea who that is. You know, there used to be an entertainer named Liberace, Lee Liberace and he was a play the piano and he would always wear these outfits that were, they weren't outlandish, but they were very, very, very loud and, and all that. And, you, you know, they, um, in fact, when Herod, dies in the book of Acts where he, it says he put on his royal apparel and when he was down in Sidon to address the people and Josephus tells us that the, that uh, tunic that he was wearing what was, was linen but it had real silver threads laced through them so that when he would walk it would sparkle. They didn't have sequins the way we would. He'd probably wear those if if, if they were available, you know. So what we see here is the two classes of politician who used to hate each other now are suddenly in league with one another. The enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Look for that to happen again. Amen. All right. And so you know, we're learning something about the future as well as the past. So, you know. Jesus, now here's the thing, if our musicians would come, Jesus didn't legally heal the man because he didn't touch him. There are cases where he took hold of the person in the synagogue and therefore, and he touched them, therefore that would legally be healing. But when the man, it says, as he stretched out his hand, it was restored. Jesus never touched him. And so there was no doubt about the fact that it wasn't anything that came out of him. It was the Father. It was the Spirit. 
And so this isn't about righteousness for the for the for the the, the Pharisees in the Herodians. It's about politics. It's about power. And we are seeing that ugly spirit rear its head again in our day. The man. Here's something interesting. How many like interesting? You know, like the little USA Today fun fact down here. I don't know if they still do that because I don't read USA Today. But by tradition, the ancient church tradition, this man was a stonemason. Uh, and and a, a, you know, a stone and bricklayer. Out of work because his right hand was worthless to him. And he couldn't work with just one. Think about that. God's not just restoring his hand. Now, that's extra biblical. I understand that. And so I cannot tell you that is without, that is incontrovertibly true. But that was the ancient church tradition concerning this fellow. There would be no reason to believe why he wouldn't tell his story because I'm sure this man is in heaven. And we can ask him when we get there. You know, I mean, eternity is a long time to meet people. You know, hang out with them, spend some time. Oh, and you'll know him. He'll know you and you'll know him. You're the guy with the weathered hand. Cool. Can I, can I see it? You know, tell me about that. What happened? And, and you know what? Even though you're the 14,375th person to ask that story, he will never tire of talking about what Jesus did for him. Just like we won't tire of talking about what Jesus did for us. Amen. All right. And so there, the, what was the overriding purpose, the overriding principle, the overriding thing that God, the heart of God, he wanted to give that man his life back. He wanted to restore that man. Restoration is what it's all about. Just think about it. When Adam sinned in the garden, God could have said, well, that's it. And cast him directly into the lake of fire and that would have been the end of it. But no, he said, I am going to see my plan for this world completed. And he told the devil, and I'm going to run over you while I'm doing it. Hallelujah. If we think, you know, if we think religiously, will become offended at God. If we think spiritually, we'll hear his heart. Amen and amen. If you're blessed, say amen. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you have not asked Jesus into your heart, I want to I encourage you not to wait another minute. Not even another minute. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to reject. None of us is going to live forever in this body. We will all live forever. We're, we're not eternal. We're immortal. And, but we will live either with God or we will go to the lake of fire, which is the destination of all who reject Him. I say that to you unapologetically. The fact is, Jesus said it himself, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I will take the master at his word. 
If you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God the Father has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what it says in Romans chapter 10. For with the heart man believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So would you do that now and just say, Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe you have raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. The scripture says he will accept you. And no matter where you've been, what you've done, whatever it is, it's all wiped away. And you will walk out of, God will draw you out from under the dominion of the enemy and into the kingdom of his beloved son. What an awesome deal. Jesus paid the price already. He is the only one to pass the test. And when we embrace him, we get his grade. Praise God. Christian, if you are on the edge nibbling at things or you're a casual Christian, you're just stirring it with your finger. I assure you in the days to come, even before 2023 is finished, you will is over, you will see that a, a half-hearted, half-baked, half-committed walk with God will not be sufficient. We need to be as close to Him as we can possibly be. We need to be in the boat with Him. Amen. And I want to encourage you, get into church, get do, lock, lock in, grab hold of the horns of the altar, believe God, not only get into church, get active in ministry, telling other people about Jesus, ministering to people in your church. Why? Because there is a lot of work ahead for us to do in him. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. O-R-G. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.